You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello, and welcome back to Girls With Graphs. I am Rachel Kudlak, and I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. And today, it's just me. Unfortunately, my lovely co-host, Amber Wilcox, won't be able to join us for today's podcast. Um, If you've been listening and keeping up with Girls With Graphs, you already know, but Amber had a baby earlier this fall, so she is taking some time off, enjoying all the newborn cuddles and snuggles, Um, and just spending some time with her family, her husband, her pup. Um, And so we wish her all the love and health and happiness um, at this new time with her family. So um, I do have a lovely guest today that will be joining me. So don't worry, it's not just me on the podcast. Um, But before I do so, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our Phoenix partners. So today's podcast is powered by Gropper and Nijet. Gropper and Nija is a personal injury firm with offices in New York and New Jersey, and they take pride in fighting to achieve the best results for those who have suffered fractures, surgeries, amputations, severe burns, and other injuries. Um, so thank you, Gropper and Nija, for your support of Phoenix Society and Girls with Graphs. So Without further ado, um, I'm going to introduce today's guest. So we have Allison Watson joining us today. Allison is a burn survivor from the 2003 San Diego wildfires. She lost her home and was burned second and third degree burns over 86% of her body while trying to evacuate. She lost all 10 fingers, part of her upper lip, the tip of her nose, as well as her left ear due to the injuries. More devastating than her injuries, her 16-year-old sister, Ashley, was killed in the blaze. Allison has since rallied from that loss, went back to college, began a career in homeless outreach, got married, and is now the mother of two boys. And in her spare time, Allison volunteers as a motivational speaker, hoping to educate the community on fire prevention and preparedness. She enjoys photography, horseback riding, days at the beach, and any activities involving her family. So, Allison, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Well, we so appreciate it. So, I know I just read your bio, um, but, you know, before we get started, can you just tell our listeners a little bit more, you know, about yourself and your survivor journey? So, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I was burned second and third degree over 86% of my body. The fire itself was one of the biggest wildfires in Southern California's history to the, at that time. Um, obviously, since then, California has seen a very large number of fires very similar to those. One of the other more mm-hmm. devastating ones being in Northern California, also called uh, the Paradise Fire, which was um, the fire that I was in in Valley Center. Um, the fires at that time period were burning so quickly it was about 65 miles an hour and about 150 feet high and it would blanket an entire city block in about 60 seconds so no matter how prepared we were it wasn't enough 
And we're seeing that more and more as time goes on. And so one of the things that I've been wanting to do is educate the community because this is now a part of our lives and it's going to continue to be. So by educating the community, we can hopefully work to prevent further loss of life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So prior to the 2003 wildfire that you were injured in, how well were you actively preparing for wildfires? And can you just kind of talk about, you know, maybe the before it, it affected you and your family so deeply, um, how you were preparing? Sure. Yeah. Coincidentally, we actually live a third of a mile from a fire station. And my mom was an ER nurse at the local hospital. So we had actually befriended the people that worked at that station. Um, they would come to our house for holidays. I actually have what I like to call contraband pictures of the firefighters <laughs> wearing bunny rabbit ears and Easter egg hunting in our front yard while they were on duty. And then what they would do is because it was so close to the station, they would just keep their radios with them. If they got a 911 call, they'd cover their plates, they'd go on the call and then they'd come back. So what we miss and <laughs> back to the party. Yeah. So uh, having them with us on such a regular basis, it was very very easy to prepare because they were always there saying, make sure you clear your property, make sure that your house is fire safe. Mm -hmm. And they would practice with us. Uh, at one point, they even helped us generate that evacuation plan to make sure that we were as ready as we could be. And the night before the fire, we did know it was, you know, five miles away. And so we had done uh, this, you know, plan where we had everybody go to bed in their clothing. They put their shoes on the side of the bed. We prepped our cars to make sure they were all aiming towards the, you know, exit. And we had one person stand watch throughout the night and we took shifts. Wow. And so we did everything we could think of to prepare. But even as we were evacuating, the fire overtook us and it caused utter chaos. That's, that's, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, that is just wild when you, I'm listening to that, you know, I am from the East coast. I live on the East coast. So and obviously wildfires are more prevalent, you know, on the West Coast, but we can all, we're all affected by natural disasters. But, you know, just hearing you talk about just staying up and taking shifts, keeping watch, it's just, it really puts in perspective just listening to you say that of, this is something that's happening at home. Like it's, it happens and it's happening more and more often. Like you said, unfortunately, this is not something that's going away. Um, so it, it's, I mean, it's great though that you did have that fire department so close. Um, and I, I want our listeners to know, regardless, you know, if you're preparing for a wildfire or you just want to know if your home is safe for, and you are following proper fire prevention and safety measures, you know, the local fire departments across this country are all willing to help. Um, you can always call them. They are if you've never talked to your local fire department, you should, because trust me, I'm sure they're, they're so nice and willing to help. So that that's great that, you know, they could help, you know, your family prepare. Absolutely. So looking back, is there anything that you wish your family would have done differently leading up to that? You know, I, I don't like to look back in that way. Uh, I think that's one of the ways that people tend to get into this endless cycle of, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah, that happens a lot. It's a form of survivor's guilt, in my opinion. What if we had done this? Maybe if I had the thing that stuck with me, actually, one of the things I did a lot in my recovery was if I had just stayed by my sister for just a little bit longer that one moment, because I was the last one to see her alive. Yeah. And I kept thinking for a long time, 
if I could have just stayed just a few seconds longer, could I have gotten her out of the car? Could I have convinced her to follow me? And I feel like that's a vicious cycle of, yeah. of punishment to yourself because no matter what we try to do, there's no, what if we had done this different? Because it's already in the past. You can't go back and change it. Um, you just have to be grateful for what you do have and try and move forward. Mm -hmm, definitely. So when you did find out that your sister did not make it out of the, the fire, how far along, you know, were you from your recovery? How soon after did you find out? And how did, and I, your home didn't survive either. Is that correct? So That's when correct. We, we lost everything, when, how soon after did you find out all of this? So obviously my burns were very severe. Uh, my last memory uh, from that day was being loaded into an ambulance with my brother. He was also burned very slightly, but they were able to treat him and release him the same day. Um, I, my next memory was about a month later, it was around Christmas time. And I remember my family shuffling into the hospital room and they were all, because as you can imagine for a burn survivor, um, your skin is your barrier. Mm -hmm. So you have to, when you go in to visit a burn victim, there are uh, protective gear that you need to wear to protect the patient from infection. Mm -hmm. So everybody was dressed exactly the same, the gown, the mask, the cap, the booties. So all I could see was just this tiny little section of their eyes to try and recognize who I was talking to. And so my mom, my dad, my brother came in on Christmas morning and they were all wearing these little antlers over the top of their caps and they shuffled into the room to try and make me smile. And so that's my earliest memory. But I remember looking and going, okay, well, there's Jace, there's mom, there's dad, where's Ashley? And I was too tired that day to ask, but I ended up asking a few days later, uh, where's Ashley? And the communication took time because I was intubated. So I had to yeah. point to letters on an alphabet board to communicate. So it took, I would say about five minutes for me to spell out where is Ashley. And as soon as I spelled it out, my mom got this look on her face, like she was trying to hold everything in. And she turned around and she left the room. And I'm sorry. When she came back into the room, she came in with our pastor. And the pastor said, Allison, I want you to know your sister didn't get out of the car that morning. Mm -hmm. And by far, that was the hardest moment of my life to this day. None of the surgeries compare. None of the, none of the devastation compares to that moment. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. <clears throat> no, I I, <laughs> I appreciate you know you sharing that with us. And certainly, I mean, I know this happened in 2003, but that pain mm -hmm. never goes away. And it it you can you can take steps forward on your path, your healing journey, but pain like that, you know, you learn to live with it because it never yeah. goes away. It um, becomes a part of you in a way. I think that's the best way to describe it is that you never get over it. You learn how to live with it. You learn how to not let it control your life. Yeah. And definitely some days are harder than others, but yeah, it's been uh, 20 years this past Thursday and it still feels very raw. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I mean, for burn anniversaries, and especially when you have, you know, you lost your sister, you lost your home, it was, uh, there's no words to put around how devastating, you know, it can be. And like I said, regardless of how many years out or months out, you know, for our listeners listening, th there's pain around, you know, those anniversary dates. Um, you know, we had a whole podcast episode on how to celebrate your burn anniversary. And some, some folks, it's not, a celebration. It's just a day of, you know, looking back and remembering what happened. So 
like I said, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, you know, unfortunately, especially when it comes to wildfires or commercial fires or, you know, these bigger, even a house fire, it really doesn't matter the size, you know, we do lose loved ones in fires. Um, and it's something, you know, we really don't talk a ton about on the podcast or, you know, in general. So I just, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Of course. And so I just kind of want to talk about, you know, what are some of the, you know, resources maybe that helped you emotionally? I mean, uh, like you said, there, there's a physical side of recovery, which is certainly important, but the physical pain is a, often, and I'm pretty sure most every burn survivor will agree that the physical pain is a lot less than the emotional and mental, you know, recovery that you're going through. So do you mind just sharing some resources or what helped you along the way? Yeah, it's actually really interesting. The type of resources I used were not really the common methods, I don't think. Um, I was blessed to be connected with the San Diego Burn Institute during my recovery, and they were incredible with their support. Mm -hmm. Um, I met a lot of really amazing people through that community. Um, But for me, my support came mostly from my family. Um, My mom, my dad, and my brother, the, the four of us banded together. And my mom described it like recovery from any amputation. It's like every one of us you know, was a member of, a, of that family. So it was like a hand and we lost our thumb. My sister was the thumb. And so we had to learn how to refunction with that piece missing. Yep. And getting together as a family, that was our therapy. We would, anybody at the time that was having what we would call a bad day, either a trigger or PTSD in some way, uh, we would let the family know, hey, we're having a bad day. And our family would get together that day and we would talk it out as a family until we could get through it. Mm-hmm. And that was our therapy. It worked tremendously well for us. And then also, of course, our faith was another huge factor. Yeah. Um, our pastors were very much involved in our recovery process because obviously, as you can imagine, there was a lot of anger, a lot of why could God let this happen to me? And there was a lot of blame. Um, so having having our pastors to support us in our journey in that way as well was also very helpful for us. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm sure, you know, obviously your whole family was going through that grief and that loss, but at the same time, you were all going through those same emotions. So having each other to turn to, I'm sure at the end of the day made your, your family just so much stronger and so much more connected than you were before. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, granted my, my parents, my brother didn't have the injuries that I had physically, but we all had the same emotional trauma of what we went through and having that support together to be able to talk it out together made us feel like we weren't doing it alone. Mm -hmm. And that really helped. And I think uh, for those who are going through this by themselves, if they were to reach out to the burn community, they would realize there are other burn survivors that are going through those same emotional traumas that they are, and they're not alone. Mm-hmm. So there's always those resources, especially within the burn community where we want to support each other. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, we have every burn survivor is different. We all have a different story, but we have commonalities. And, you know, regardless of if you suffered an injury from a wildfire or a house fire or whatever it may be, we can find someone who most likely has been in a very similar place that you're going through. Um, and that commonality can really, you know, just give you a little hope and a little healing at the end of the day, which is really what we're trying to do. Um, so, and you, and you talked about your faith too. Um, do you, do you mind just sharing a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, I think faith for me anyway was a huge factor in my healing because as I said, I had a lot of anger towards God. Mm -hmm. I I really felt like I had never done anything wrong growing up. I wasn't somebody who, you know, I wasn't a school ditch. I didn't do drugs. I didn't commit crimes. I was a, a regular everyday, you know, teenager. And my sister was the same. My, my sister actually, before she died, would read the Bible. And she was 16 when she passed. So she read the Bible at a young age. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, we were, we were followers. We were, we were good people. Why would God let something this devastating happen to such good people? I don't understand. It didn't seem right. And so there was a lot of anger. And I'll never forget my pastor one time saying, you know, there's going to be times where you're going to pray to God and his answer is going to be no. And you've got to learn how to understand that you're not going to get the answer you want sometimes. Mm -hmm. But his, his plan is what's more important than what we had in mind. And maybe losing my sister in that way, there was a plan there that will help someone else. Maybe not me necessarily, but maybe someone else. Yeah. And I have to kind of remember that that is the gift in what God is trying to help us with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I also grew up, um, so I was born when I was three, um, but I grew up um, going to church. And I remember, you know, as a teenager, even though it was like 10 years after my injury, having those same thoughts of like, why me? Why did this happen to me? And I was angry as well. So, you know, whether, you know, whatever your faith looks like, we all can have different faiths and religions and spirituality. Um, but, you know, having that it's just a bigger community. And it's kind of the same idea of how we want our burn community to come together. You know, that faith community can also be a, a real big support system um, for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, faith was a huge factor, but it's not something that everyone pursues. And I respect that. Absolutely. You need to find what gives you comfort, whether it be your faith, whether it be your friends or your family, whatever support system you need to get through that trauma and just remember that you're not alone fighting it, that there are people out there that are going through something similar or they maybe don't, but they do want to support you and they will find a way. Definitely. Yes. Well, and I, you mentioned this earlier and I, I do want to talk a little bit later about the Maui wildfires, but I want to first talk about, you know, you just had your 20th anniversary. Um, so how did you feel on that day? You know, 20 is kind of a, a, a big, a big deal. Um, so how, how did you feel when on that day? You know, it was interesting for me. It was the days leading up to it that were the hardest. There was a lot of, of tears and a lot of emotions that I could feel. I was struggling to sleep at night. And then the actual day of the anniversary hit and I woke up that morning and I went to work and I was so focused on work that I wasn't thinking about it. And then that evening we actually host, or, well, we didn't host it, but the fire department hosted a day of remembrance at the fire station that was a third of a mile from my family home. And I was nervous about going to that event because I thought there was going to be more tears, but surprisingly it was, it was joyful. It was full of laughter and happy memories from after the actual trauma of that day. People were talking about how they watched me recover and how it, it gave them strength to know that I could get up and keep going. And, you know, hearing them laugh about some of the funny moments and, you know, talking through it was actually a lot more comforting than anything I had anticipated. Mm -hmm. So and it wasn't bad. No, thank you for sharing that. So, and I know leading up to it, I mean, this was a big wildfire. I think you mentioned at the time it was the largest in California. Um, 
what was it like kind of just seeing all the news coverage and the articles coming out kind of talking about the 20th anniversary? Did that, did that trigger any specific emotions or? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the reason that I was having so much emotion leading up to it because there were, there was a lot of news reporting all, all the way through the entire week leading up to the 20th. And it got to the point where I just, I had to turn the TV off and I said, I can't watch the news right now because it is really upsetting me. Um, it was causing a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, and I just couldn't do it. So I just had to turn the TV off. I, I completely understand that. I know this isn't similar, but, you know, during COVID when we were all in lockdown and it was just talked about nonstop on the news, I I understand how you felt because I just turned it off. I couldn't listen to it. It just, it brought, you know, that anxiety, those just nervous feelings, Um so I can definitely understand how just seeing all the news coverage and the articles, which is something, you know, you I'm sure happens every single year around the anniversary. So I did want to share with our listeners. Um, so a statistic I found. Um, so according to the NFPA, every year wildfires burn across the U.S. more and more and more and more people are living um, where wildfires are of real risk. So nearly 45 million homes and more than 72,000 communities are at risk. And that's not 72,000 people, that's 72,000 communities with 45 million homes are at risk for wildfires. So we just saw, you know, a I guess a few weeks ago, maybe months ago, you know, with the Maui wildfires and how devastating those were to Maui and Hawaii. Um, so again, kind of seeing that on the news and all of, you know, the press and media that surrounded the Maui wildfires. Did you have those same reactions, you know, that those same triggers of just, you know, the anxiety and kind of how to turn it off? I, I did, actually. I had that for the Maui wildfires. I also had it when the fires happened in Northern California for the fires in Paradise. Mm -hmm. uh, both of them, because of the stories that were coming out of it, and they were talking about families making last-minute phone calls. And, you know, in Maui, hearing stories about people jumping into the ocean in order to escape, mm -hmm. um, just knowing that that was their last resort, um, it, it does trigger an emotion, and it makes me feel just this pull towards these people in Maui and what they're battling right now and what they're recovering from, because I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. And it just breaks my heart to know that they had to go through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you tell, what would you want to know, or what would you want those Maui, you know, survivors or, you know, they're going back and trying to rebuild their life again. What would you, what do you want to tell them? Oh, the first thing I would say is just be prepared that it is going to be a long recovery, both physically and emotionally. And I just hope that they know that they're not alone. And there's so many people here that want to support them and want to be there, myself especially. Um, you know, I would love to just, you know, call the hospital and say, you know, I'm here. I want to help. What can I do? And um, anything that they need, I really wish I could help them in some way. That's just all I keep thinking about. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, um, so we are working with the Straub Burn Center in Hawaii and, um, you know, the education centers in Maui, um, because, you know, you know, everyone's first initial concern is that physical recovery. You're still in the hospital. You, you know, regardless of the degree and depth of your burn, you know, you have to focus on that physical recovery first, but then going home. And maybe you don't even have a home anymore because maybe right. it was lost in the fire. 
you know, that I feel like is when the true journey begins. Um, so how, how was it like, and maybe you can talk a little bit about what, how your family kind of handled that, but when you leave the hospital and maybe you don't have a home anymore and you're, you have a community though, I guess what tips or advice or what, again, what would you want them to know who, you know, they don't really even know where to go when they leave the hospital? For me, uh, leaving the hospital was very strange because, again, we did lose our home. So when I left the hospital, we went into a rental home and nothing in that home was mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had been purchased for me, so it was mine, but it wasn't mine. I didn't pick it out. I didn't, you know, hand grab or purchase anything that was in that home. It was all stuff that was chosen for me. So I felt a very real loss of my own identity for a long time. And to top off that feeling of not having stuff around me that belonged to me, but to look in the mirror and not recognize my own reflection was another sense of, I've lost my own identity. Who is this? What body have I been dropped into and where am I now? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's this long recovery of trying to re-identify who you are as a person, just as much as there is that loss of everything else. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a long recovery in that process. And I think it's different for everybody. Yeah, definitely. So Aside from, you know, you talked about your faith and how you had that, you know, your family that you could, you know, go to when you're having a tough day. Um, did you find any support maybe in like just the community in general, since this didn't just impact your family? It was a community wide, um, you know, journey that you were all on. There was a lot of community support. It was actually, it was worldwide. It was incredible. We were getting letters from schools at in Australia, from children in Australia writing get well cards. Mm -hmm. And um, there were local fundraisers and there were local blood drives. Uh, we actually got a call at one point. Uh, one of the Red Cross uh, representatives called my family and said, um, so there's a lot of donations going in specifically for Allison. Is there any way that maybe we could share this with other people who need it? Because there were so many blood donations that mm -hmm. my Mine was full, and so now we needed to see if we could share it with others. So it was really incredible to see the community reach out in that way. Uh, mm -hmm. Another really exciting moment, um, my, my friends, my closest friends were also around. One of my friends actually dropped out of college and came home to support our family. Mm -hmm. And uh, another one of my friends had done a fundraiser where she had raised enough money that I could buy a brand new car in cash because obviously I'd lost my car in the fire. And I remember her coming into the hospital room. And of course, again, I was still intubated, so I couldn't talk to her. Uh, but she looked at me and she goes, Allison, I want you to know you can buy a new car now. I have the money for you to buy a brand new car with cash. And my eyes just got big. And I thought, I, I've never done that before in my life. I can't even imagine what that must be like. <laughs> yeah. So there was, a, there was a lot of outpouring of community support. And it was overwhelming. And it was such a blessing. Mm -hmm. And do you mind me asking, how old were you um, when the fire happened? I was 20 and uh, actually I was released from the hospital about three days before my 21st birthday. So what was that like as a, a young adult? You, you know, you, I know you've turned on, you're an adult when you're 18, but you know, really until you kind of have your first real job and you move out and you know, that's when you're, you're really entering this pivotal part of your life. So what was that like? You know, did you feel like maybe you were missing out on things or, I, I just feel like being a young adult, regardless if you're going through a burn injury or not, is a tough time in your life, let alone when you just went through everything that you went through. 
initially I did feel like I was missing out because as I said, I was released from the hospital three days before my 21st birthday. Mm -hmm. So of course being home from the hospital, I was still on a lot of medications, so I couldn't drink. So I didn't get to drink on my 21st birthday. Um, but of course being, you know, the young goofy adult that I was, of course, I'd already had my first drink before that. (laughs) We won't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then, you know, there was also the whole, am I going to be able to have a life after this? Because, you know, in in this world of social stigmas, I was really afraid that no one would accept the physical look of me and want to be married to me and have a family. And, you know, was I going to be able to get a job since I didn't have fingers? I didn't know if I could have a job. Um, I found out later that it wasn't that I was not going to have these things, but just that it was delayed for a little while while I had a chance to heal. Because I, I did. I got married in 2009. I have two beautiful boys. They are 8 and 11, and they are very much a handful. <laughs> exactly what any parent would want, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have a career. I actually work in homeless outreach right now, which is amazing. And it's a full-time job. I, I get to work from home, you know, three to three out of the five days a week. And it's, it's amazing. And mm-hmm. I really did. Like I said, I thought that it wasn't going to happen for me, but it just, it did. It just took a little longer is all. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. Um, you know, regardless, you know, whatever age you get injured at, you know, I, again, I when as a child, I grew up, but I still kind of had those thoughts of like, well, I look different than all my friends. I have these scars, like, will anyone think I'm beautiful? Which, you know, like you said, we live in this world. Um, and I think we're getting better at it. You know, we work with Face Equality International. And, you know, I think we're breaking down those barriers um, to that stigma. But obviously, you know, we can all still be, you know, self-conscious of our scars and be afraid. Um, but, you know, what what can't we do? We're, we're just like everyone else. We just may right. look a little different. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it really is a lot about how you feel about yourself. It's what you it's what you portray, you know, that self-confidence. I think that's really the biggest factor. If you are uncomfortable with yourself, it's going to show that you're uncomfortable with yourself and it's going to make people around you a little nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, I asked my husband once, I said, you know, I I really need to know why you were okay with me. Why, why this didn't bother you at all. And he said, it wasn't, it wasn't what you looked like that I was attracted to. It was who you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first time that he saw me, I had been making a joke about going to a Renaissance fair. And one of my girlfriends said, oh, no, I don't want to go to Renaissance fairs. Those are for dorks. And I said, oh, well, I guess I'm a big dork. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> and m- that phrase, I guess I'm a dork, it caused my husband to kind of <laughs> lean over and go, who's that? And so I guess that, that's all it took. <laughs> being a dork got you your husband is what I'm that's hearing. Right. <laughs> that's right. So it's it's not about what you look like. It's it's how you portray yourself. It's about how you, your self-confidence, it's how you are inside. That's what shines the most. Definitely. I mean, that's a life lesson for everyone, regardless if you're a burn survivor or not. So, I think so too. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um so kind of going back to the wildfires here, you know, I want to talk a little bit about prevention. Um, you know, obviously, and I'm pretty sure you still live in California. Maybe I just made that up in my head, but that's what I, I thought. Um, <laughs> I was like, shoot, I never actually asked her that. I just assumed she was still in California. So actually, our family moved back onto the same property where the house burned. We rebuilt. We had a, a motto to ourselves where we said, fire is going to be wherever you are. So you may as well live where you love to live. And mm-hmm. we do love living where we are. Oh. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and that was actually, that's perfect segue into my next fact. Um, And I mentioned this a little earlier too, but, you know, 
most people think wildfires only occur. I mean, I think most people just think California. You know, I feel like even the Hawaii wildfires kind of opened up folks' eyes and realized wildfires happen in so many more places. Um, and, you know, the two leading causes of wildfires are humans, that's number one, and then lightning, which, you know, is just, again, another realization that I had because, you know, I just think, oh, it's dry in California. It's not something we worry about here. But the fact is humans are the number one cause of wildfires, which is just a crazy, crazy fact. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you still prepare for wildfires and maybe what advice you'd want others to know? Yeah, one of the leading websites that I like to encourage people to go to is a website called Ready, Set, Go. Um, that's And then all obviously you can go to any one of the local burn community websites um, or even the, the Phoenix Society, I believe, has a website on fire education mm -hmm. prevention for wildfires. Um, but one of the things I like to do is I always have a go bag. So, you know, your go bag has, you know, a, a day's worth of clothing. It has any emergency medication supplies. It has, um, you know, birth certificates, social security cards, things like that, that you don't necessarily need to get into every day. And you put it in your car, just keep it in your car because then all you have to do is just get up, walk out the door. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that people always worried about, what about my pets? Well, I want to tell you, for me, we actually, I had a cat. Her name was Patches. She was an indoor cat. And I got her out of the house that day, and then I let her go because I had to take care of myself. She survived the fires along with all three of our family's dogs. They survived on their own because I really do believe that we underestimate the abilities of our animals' natural instincts. Mm -hmm. And all, all of our, you know, not all of our animals, but most of our animals survived the fires. The ones that didn't were the ones that couldn't escape, like our chickens. Yeah. Um, horses is another one. Horses tend to return to their barn because that's where they think is safe, yeah. even if it's on fire. But, you know, animals will know what to do. So you just need to let them go and let them fend for themselves. They will get to safety. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things that you need to think about is, you know, worry about yourself, worry about your family and then let your animals. I know there are fur babies, but you just need to let them go and let them let their instincts do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So go bag, take care of your animals. Don't wait. Mm -hmm. And w when, you know, there is a wildfire season, but in general, how do you stay updated to know if a wildfire is approaching? Or I guess, how do you stay, where do you go for the most current information? So um, local news tends to be a really good one. There's also wildfire apps. You can download a wildfire app on your phone for up-to-date wildfires in your area. Um, but yeah, I would say the news the local news is probably the best resource for up-to-date information on fires. Yeah. And what about, I guess, like things outside of the house? I realized I said that and it didn't totally make sense, but like outside of the house, what are things that people need to be aware of or make sure, I guess, that they're taking care of, you know, what shouldn't be around, I guess, maybe if you're in an area that's susceptible to wildfires? Yes. Yeah, so there are ways that you can prepare your home to make it fire ready. There is uh, what they call defensible space that you need to, you know, make sure you're defending your home with a certain amount of defensible space. Um, make sure you don't have anything that, you know, leans up against your home like trees or bushes. And if you do have anything like that plant life that is something that's going to be close to your house, then you want it to be something that is fire retardant or fire highly fire resistant like ice plant. Ice plant is, you know, it's a water-based type plant. So it's got a lot of water inside it. 
Um, but yeah, I would say just make sure that you have that defensible space around your home. That's usually around, I think it's about 10 to 15 feet. I would have to look up the exact dimensions, but that's something you can also look up online is, you know, how much defensible space do I need around my home? Um, but yeah, that's a big one is making sure that your, your property is clear of heavy amounts of brush, a lot of trees or keep your trees trimmed mm -hmm. and definitely keep everything away from your house itself. Yeah. Great, great points. And like you said, that ready, set, go, um, NFPA also has a ton of great resources. You know, if you ever have any questions, again, reach out to your local fire department or um, Google, you know, yep, Google a big one. Uh, great resources that you can find on there. Um, so I know we're wrapping up here soon, but I did want to ask, you know, why is fire wildfire prevention and advocacy so important to you? For me, it's the idea of making sure that what happened to me doesn't happen to someone else. Uh, again, my injuries, obviously they were traumatic to me, but the biggest loss was by far my sister. And I don't ever want anybody to lose a family member in that way. It's, it's the worst thing you can go through. Mm -hmm. And if I can stop it just for one person, I feel like I've done my job. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure your sister is very proud of you, you know, for sharing your vulnerability and your story with so many. Um, cause like you said, if you can help prevent it from happening to one other person or one other family, you know, you've done your job. Um, thank so you. yeah, thank you. Um, so before we close out, I do have two more questions I have to ask you, but, um, do you have any other, you know, tips or advice or just anything else you want to share? Uh, my only thing is for, especially for those victims in Maui, just, I want them to know that they're not alone. I want them to know that, you know, yes, this is a horrible thing that's happened, but you're going to get through this. It's just going to take prayer and community and just time, but give yourself that time because you're going to get there. Maui is such a beautiful place. I actually was blessed to go there once on our honeymoon and I got to sit underneath that giant banyan tree and it's a, it's an amazing place. And I know that the community there is tight knit. Like our family was in Valley center and our, our community in Valley center was tight knit as well. And I just, I know that they're going to get through this, but I just want them to know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it takes time. Like you said, and, you know, even when you were sharing about your 21st birthday and, you know, maybe things just take a little longer, but it, you can get back to living. Like you said, we are not alone. We're all on this path and journey together. Um, so thank you. Yeah. So much for sharing that. Sure. Awesome. Well, we do ask our guests. Um, we always ask our guests two quick final questions. Um, so normally Amber does the first one, but obviously she's not here. So I'm doing both of them. But our first question is, what advice do you have for a newly injured survivor? So maybe not a wild or maybe a wildfire survivor, maybe not. But what advice would you give to a newly injured survivor? I think the first thing I would say is if you can, when you're getting the bandages and you're peeling them off, get them wet. Because mm. <laughs> peeling peeling that bandage away, oh my goodness, I'm sure you remember, it's incredibly painful. But if you get them wet first, if you um, dampen them, it's a little bit easier to peel them off the skin. I, that's that's a big one for new, for new burn survivors. The other one is don't uh, don't look in the mirror right away. Give yourself some time to heal from that trauma before you look at it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Great, great advice. Um, so our final question, it is our Phoenix partner question, which today is sponsored by Grapper and Nija, a personal injury law firm helping survivors and others get the financial representation they deserve. So their question is, what is something you're grateful for today? It doesn't have to be burn 
survivor related. It can be anything, but what's something you're grateful for? Honestly, I'm grateful that I got to wake up this morning. Every, every single day has been just a gift. It's, you know, obviously there's good days and bad days, but you know, I get up in the morning and I see my children's faces and I've got my husband by my side. I couldn't ask for anything more. I am so blessed. Mm -hmm. So I just wake up every day thanking everyone for that. Yes, that's definitely something we should all be grateful for. Um, one of I'm into Peloton and one of my favorite instructors always says like, smile, you woke up today. And yeah, I'm just, sure. as I'm like dying on the bike, but I'm like, I got a smile because I did wake up today. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, do, before we close out, any any last words or anything? You want to no, share? I apologize. I know um, I, it's getting a little dark over on this end and I'm sorry I, for the mm -hmm. camera lighting. I should have done something to prepare for that. I apologize. No worries. Well, I just thank you so much for, again, coming on the podcast, for sharing your story, your vulnerability with us. Um, you know, wildfires are something, like we said, are happening more and more often, unfortunately. Um, and I just so appreciate you coming on, sharing your story and helping others. It's my pleasure. Thank you again so much for having me. Yes, thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.